Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When I was in New York, when I was dedicated to the cause of Lucifer, I was at that point a seven-generation witch. I was laying there, practically naked, and I had her hold me as if I was me. I couldn't talk. I couldn't open my eyes. I, I believe my eyes were all right back in my head. There was evidence of human sacrifice on this flight. One of my first questions I asked was, God. I think at some point we need like a new theme song yeah uh, we've been having that one for about a year now and although i, I still really like it I, I still like to change it up a little bit so trying to get our uh silent partner to give us a new get us a new theme song which uh luke is not here yet again well maybe he'll show up but highly doubtful since it is labor day <laughs> weekend i'm sure he's probably you know dead at the bottom of the lake somewhere with his uh, Confederate flex speedo on, <laughs> but uh, how's how's it going, Rob? You are here. I am here. How oh, you been? I've, I've been good. I've been good. We did a a wonderful, wonderful leisure hour episode last night, all about clowns. <laughs> I heard some horrible <laughs> phrases uttered. <laughs> well, <laughs> it is a clown. It is a it is kind of a a, a clown themed weekend for you, then, sir. Sure is because. Uh, yeah, well, we haven't been here for about two weeks, even though you guys heard a show last week. That was recorded two weeks ago. 
And apparently, uh, things are going just a little bit loony out there. Yeah, clowns everywhere coming out of the woods. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's, uh, we have a clip about this. Let's, let's get started on this because, uh, this, this is something that, um, we talked about about a year and a half ago, I believe, and is now coming back around again. Now to a Fox Carolina investigation. Many of us have told our kids not to talk to strangers, but what about clowns? Parents and children at Fleetwood Manor Apartments in Greenville County say they've seen clowns. Yes, clowns lurking near their complex and in the woods nearby. We've seen a lot of talk about this on social media. Those are some of the pictures we've been showing you. And many parents are worried about their children's safety here in our area. We spoke to people who say they saw the clowns at Fleetwood Manor and reached out to law enforcement to report it. Fox Carolina Shale Ramin has been digging for answers on this and talking with people around the area. Shale, really something hard to believe, but but very scary for those residents. Absolutely, Diana. And a resident actually passed along this letter from Fleetwood Manor Apartments warning people about this clown or clowns. Apparently, the person is dressed in a clown costume with a painted face and possibly using laser lights. Now, this letter does go into detail about the 10 p.m. curfew and deputies have been notified. But I spoke to several parents around the area tonight who say they're keeping a closer eye on their child clown sightings. It's been the talk of Fleetwood Manor Apartments, and it has most parents like Donna Arnold on high alert. I thought my child was, you know, seeing things. The next day, I had about 30 kids come up to me and say, did you see the clowns in the woods? Arnold says she called the Greenville County Sheriff's Office for help after her son and others around the complex say they saw clowns behind the basketball court. And they finally sent people out here to check. They did find some evidence. And one woman we spoke to off camera says these kids aren't seeing things. She says she was walking back home when she spotted a clown in this area here, waving at her. And he said he seen him out there at the basketball court. And that's what he told me. That's my great-grandchild. These clown sightings are not being taken lightly. The apartment complex sent out these flyers warning residents, and the scare has caused concern from a community activist. And the reasons I'm over here to make sure we get a full understanding of what is law enforcement doing, because we have around two to 300 children out here. So I want to make sure that law enforcement is doing the right thing. Clowns might sound silly. But it's a situation parents are not finding funny and want the clowns caught. To just be extremely careful. You know, you got to dot our I's and cross our T's at all times in a situation like this. And be aware and be alert at all times. Now, the apartment complex says children should be supervised at all time. And the Greenville County Sheriff's Office says they don't have a case number yet associated with this incident, but they are aware of the situation. The complex tells us that they are patrolling the complex daily. Live in the newsroom, Shale Ramin, Fox Carolina, the 10 o'clock news. Okay. Yeah. I have so many questions. Phantom clowns <laughs> have returned. So I want to know what kind of evidence they found. Like, what kind of evidence do clowns leave behind? Well, it's interesting. Um, what I had heard was that some of the kids had told the police officers that there was a house in the woods where they said the clowns lived. Jesus. The police officers <laughs> apparently did go to this house to investigate, and they found nothing. That's what I had heard. So whatever this lady is, I don't know what this lady is saying in this, uh, in the interview saying that they found some evidence of something. 
Like balloon As, animals. Or like, yeah, I, I, I have I no idea. Like, apparently it's an abandoned house in the middle of the woods or something. Now, I'm going to say this. When this first started coming out last week, at the very beginning of last week, I thought to my first thing I thought to myself was, even though I'm aware of the whole phantom clown phenomenon, first thing I thought to myself was, this is a viral marketing campaign. And the reason that I thought that was I had had a friend of mine post up on Facebook a movie that's being produced by Eli Roth called Clown, about a guy that apparently gets possessed by the spirit of an evil clown and slowly turns into an evil clown. Okay. However, this movie was premiered in Italy in 2014. Yeah, I remember seeing something about it a long time ago. And had come out here in the United States in June. It has been released on DVD and on Blu-ray, but so I did not think that that was it. I, I At that point, I, I didn't think that this was a viral marketing thing. The second thing I thought that it was a viral marketing uh, campaign, and it's, it was even said on some news media outlets that this was a viral marketing campaign for, for the remake of it, which is coming out, which is being filmed and actually does not come out till September of next year. So that rules that out. Usually when they do these viral marketing campaigns, these, these type of things happen very close to the release of the movie because they want to make the buzz for the release. Right. So you're not going to have something that's going to come out a year before, uh, Third, I heard that there's a, no, a movie by Rob Zombie called 31, which is being released that has something a little bit to do with clowns. And there was some speculation by the police department that they were thinking that this was a viral marketing campaign and these, but these guys were actually going out there and doing it. But if it was, why would they pick green, a, an apartment complex in the middle of Greenville, South Carolina? It doesn't make any sense. Why not L.A.? Why not New York? Why not a bigger city like Atlanta or even here in Nashville? Why would you have Why would you have a viral marketing campaign that is based in Greenville, South Carolina, in a fairly low income apartment complex? Makes no sense at all, really. But this has become a huge news story. So, what are your questions that you have? Well, the evidence was the first one, and then clowns I, I thought it was just a clown i didn't know it was uh, like a whole roaming no. pack of clowns until right now <laughs> that's horrifying well another thing that's weird is that they said they've been seeing lights in the woods and then they see the clowns that's another thing that's been strange but this is apparently has been taken very seriously by the first the apartment complex and by the police um this is from the actual apartment complex. Pull this picture up here so I can read it. This is actually given to the residents. To the residents of Fleetwood Manor. There has been several 
conversation and a lot of complaints of the office regarding a clown or a person dressed in clown clothing taking children or trying to lure children into the woods. First and foremost at Fleetwood Manor Apartments, children's safety is a top priority. At no time should a child be alone at night or walking in the roads or wooded areas at night. Also, if a person or persons are seen, you are to immediately call the police. Greenville County Police Department is aware of the situation and have been riding the property daily remember there is a 10 p.m curfew for the property so to ensure your children's safety please keep them in the house during night hours and make sure at all times children are supervised any more information that comes regarding this issue will be sent out to all residents thank you property manager so the property as is their responsibility to do has taken this entirely entirely seriously well and I mean that makes sense, you know. There's only certain places where it's okay to see a clown. Anywhere else is terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Like at a party, if I saw a clown, it's like okay, they're supposed to be here. I can get through this. But anywhere out in public or in the woods at night. <laughs> now remember, we talked about and anybody that didn't hear that show. This first one we did with Walter Bosley, like last April. We talked about. Um, I talked about the Phantom Clowns, and I read an article out of a book by uh, called uh, the weird U S books. And this was, uh, this was an article by Lauren Coleman, who is, a, he's a big Bigfoot researcher, but he also looks at a lot of other weird Fortiana stuff. And we talked about how in the early eighties around 1981, 82, there was a wave of phantom clown sightings that was seen in Boston and in that area. Uh, they would apparently try to lure kids into vans with candy. And every time that they were confronted, they usually would drive off. But, and then also in Chicago in the late eighties, I believe there was another phantom clown outbreak there. People were seeing the same thing. Now in 2016, we're seeing the same, the, the same type of thing happen again with the phantom clowns. And it, it, it seemingly comes out of nowhere. Uh, I want to, I want to read this. This is called Twilight Language. This is Lauren Coleman's blog. A Phantoms Clowns in Greenville, Four Sightings. In 1981, I coined the phrase, this is Lauren Coleman, Phantom Clowns to describe the brightly colored costumed individuals seemingly escapees from a circus wearing exaggerated makeup and driving vans who attempted to kidnap children. I first devoted an article about Phantom Clowns in Fate magazine during the early 1980s and then expanded my thoughts on these reports in 1983's first edition of Mysterious America. In that book, I detail the United States of America's wave of shadowy 1981 sightings of clowns and vans who appeared to have tried to kidnap children from Boston to Kansas City. It was years after I wrote the about Phantom Clowns that Stephen King's It was published, putting to rest that King's novel inspired the original Phantom Clown accounts. The encounters began in May of 1981 in Boston, Brookline, and other Massachusetts communities. By the end of the month, the local newspapers in Kansas City were publishing warnings about killer clowns said to be after children at bus stops there. I coined the term Phantom Clowns to describe them because they were, they were are seen but never caught. 
Sightings would come and go, and phantom clown encounters would continue. There has been a long history of phantom clown sightings since then, but 2008 seems significant because it was a period of a presidential campaigning. In 2008, reports coming from Chicago were tied to a wicker park, which has a symbolic name linked to New York City's Son of Sam killings in 1976-1977. In letters to the media, the Son of Sam serial killer signed himself as the Wicked King Wicker and allegedly shot a, shoot a Wicker Street German Shepherd. In the October 2008 Illinois incidents, a man wearing clown makeup and a wig was using balloons in an attempt to lure children into his vehicle on the south side of Chicago, Illinois. Police issued an alert about a week after a man with a similar description was spotted on the west side. No one was ever, appreh ever, ever apprehended. During the election year 2012, the clown phenomenon revealed itself via the Joker copycats. On July 20th, 2012, the Dark Knight shooting, 12 dead, 58 injured occurred. It happened in Colorado at Aurora, forever broadcasting Red Dawn to our awareness. Theatergoer killer James Holmes had a Bane mouth mask that covered a Joker facial makeup underneath. Even a James Holmes Aurora Joker mask was marketed for Halloween 2012 briefly. It was seen to be in bad taste, but in many ways it was a clown mask. Fast forward to 2016, and here we are in another presidential election year. The times have not been lost on a bit of online humor appearing in this year, and he shows a picture from the original version of it, where instead of Pennywise in the in the in the gutter, it's a uh, it's Trump's head. <laughs> and now new Phantom Clown reports. And now new Phantom Clown reports are in evidence, but it wasn't a Phantom Clown yet that started appearing in Green Bay, Wisconsin early in August. We talked about this on the last show, about Gag as a Clown. A mysterious clown that seemingly came out of someone's warped sense of humor was spotted in Green Bay, according to photographs making the rounds of the social media. A Facebook page called Gags the Green Bay Clown claimed the first sighting happened August 21st, 2016 at 2 a.m. More recently, the media headlines out of South Carolina tell of clowns trying to lure kids into the woods. There have been several conversations and a lot of complaints to the office regarding a clown or a person dressed in clown clothing talking to children or trying to lure children into the woods. Read a letter sent by the property management, which we just read, which owns the Fleetwood Manor Apartments in Greenville, South Carolina. News reports have been specific about the details of the encounters. Greenville County Sheriff's Office spokesman Master Deputy Drew Pensario told BuzzFeed News that deputies received a call complaining about clowns being spotted in the woods behind the apartments on August 20th, 2016. The caller did not want to leave their name, he said. But one woman did file a report with the Sheriff's Office on August 21st, explaining that two days earlier, her son told her he had seen clowns in the woods whispering and making strange noises. <laughs> read an incident report sent to BuzzFeed News with the woman's name name redacted. The woman then went on to investigate herself and observed several clowns in the woods flashing green laser lights who then ran away into the woods. Donna and James Arnold, residents of Fleetwood Manor, said it was their two sons, age 10 and 13, who were involved. The kids said, Mama, there's clowns out there in the woods, and they're trying to get us to come out there. Some had chains, some had knives, and some were holding up money saying, Come here, we've got candy for you. But the parents report their sons wouldn't go. I thought my child was seeing things, resident Donna Arnold told CNN affiliate WHNS. And then the next day, I had about 30 kids come up to me and say, did you see the clown in the woods? The story is far from over. 
Right, I was. Monday night, August 29, 2016, deputies in South Carolina increased patrols after getting new reports of people dressed as clowns trying to lure children into the woods. At 8.20 p.m. on August 29th, a family from Emerald Commons Apartments, living about 20 minutes from the first side of the initial reports, said a child saw a man wearing a clown mask in woods near the complex. Deputies said there was a third report of someone dressed as a clown about 10 p.m. at Shermwood Apartments. So this is a different apartment complex. A 12-year-old told deputies that two clowns were in the backyard area, according to the Associate Press. Greenville police received a call from a concerned parent at 4, at 3.40 p.m. Wednesday, August 31st, 2016, about another clown sighting. The caller said their daughter was walking home from Hughes Academy when she saw a clown in the woods. They say it happened. They said it happened between Pleasant Valley and Hughes Middle School. Police said they searched the area and didn't find anything. They said they, they say they are stepping up patrols. This is the fourth sighting. So here's the pattern here. People see these clowns. The police investigate and they find nothing. No evidence that there's anybody in the woods. No evidence that anything really is even going on. Although the police have in Greenville, uh, there was another article where they said that they were said, if you dress up in a clown outfit, you're going to be arrested, pure and simple. Because because now they're dealing with with a certain amount of uh certain amount of mass hysteria, basically, right. People were seeing it, but what's but there's nothing that can be done about it. So yeah. There was also another story in Ohio not too long ago, and our good friend Steve Stockton, who I'm hoping to get back on the show pretty soon, uh next month for Halloween, he had posted this up about an incident in Ohio. Yeah. CCS officials. This is from uh, Drudge Report. CCS officials say person in clown mask with a with a knife chased student. Columbus police will be monitoring a North Columbus bus stop this morning after one student said a person in a clown mask chased him with a knife. The 14 year old boy was headed to the bus stops. Tuesday morning near Sandalwood Place on his way to school at Columbus North International School. He said around 6.15 a.m., a guy a guy in a clown mask dressed in all black chased him with a knife. Moms in that neighborhood said they're reminding their kids to pay attention and follow their gut. I thought it was crazy, said mom of, mom of two, Tommy Williams, who lives in the neighborhood where it happened. Recently, there have been reports of clowns luring children in South Carolina. Williams couldn't believe this time it was in her backyard. I did not think it was here, but it goes to show things crazy and stupid can happen everywhere. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Mom of four, Tasha Jones, worries about her teenagers not paying attention. I'm very concerned because one of them plays Pokemon a lot on his phone, so I told him you have to be more aware now, she said. Columbus police said whether whether it's a scary prank or something more sinister, they're taking it seriously. We don't expect it during the early morning hours when people are going to work or school. So is there a concern there? Yeah, said Sergeant Rich Weiner with Columbus Police. We will have units in the area patrolling to make sure that this does not occur again. These moms will say until the guy is caught, they'll keep a closer eye on their kids. CCS says they will now be monitoring the bus stop where the boy says he saw the clown. So, 
Rob, sorry to put you through all this, but you are the perfect person to demonstrate <laughs> my point here. Uh, Ugh, they're spreading. You are definitely afraid of clowns. Well, yeah, like, like I said, only only out of context. Yeah. Like if I came home and there was one in my kitchen, I would just attack. <laughs> like I wouldn't try to find out why it's there or what's going on. It would just it, it'd be on. You're not going to attack the gadabout theater. Like you want to go no, right. see their show and uh, just like immediately run up there with a knife. And- no, but apparently <laughs> a lot of clowns die in the place. So I might end up going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as long as you get to see clowns actually die. Right. Um, then that's another point. I'm surprised. Like I, I was, there was uh, for a while, there was these videos that people were posting on Facebook of some guy who just like dresses up like a scary clown and like pulls these pranks on people in the middle of the night. Mm hmm. And apparently there's a few copycats of that now, too. There's a lot of people out there doing it. And I'm surprised none of them have been shot yet. Yeah, I've noticed that there's actually a guy that he makes a living. Um, parents actually hire him to sleep under their children's bed and scare them in the middle of the night. <laughs> like, that wouldn't just, uh, you know, that's just not traumatic or anything, is that's it? So, that's awful. Well, I want to. Okay. Looking at the history of this. As Lauren Coleman says in this article, and as an article that we've read before on the show, none of these reports seem to date back before 1981. Uh, and matter of fact, the very thing that I've even heard probably in the last 10 years, of accounts, um, innocent, you know, a very, you know, innocent part of childhood, basically. And, I think certain ideas and motifs and archetypes begin to come into our consciousness. And I think where it starts with the whole evil clown thing, at least the modern version of it, would be John Wayne Gacy, right? I mean, you have this serial killer that killed 33 young men, buried them down in his basement. And in his crawl space and the guy, but the guy was a fixture in his community. And one of the things that he did was he was a clown for children's parties. Right. Pogo the clown. And that kind of became a motif because of the media coverage of John Wayne Gacy. This idea that this guy there was probably a little bit of more of an emphasis on the fact that this guy was this, was a clown. And I think that that, in part, inspired Stephen King when he was writing it in the 80s, because he would have known about Gacy to create the character of Pennywise. Okay? And that novel, that movie, furthered this whole motif of the evil clown and at the same time, you have this phantom clown thing starting starting to happen. Uh, now, this is a big part of our culture. I mentioned the movie Clown before and all these evil clown motifs. I mean, it's everywhere now. And you have, you know, Heath Ledger's Joker and now um, American Horror Story. American Horror Story is a big one, too. It's like this kind of stuff feeds on. It's like a circle. It feeds on each other. So. I have said before with the black eyed children, the people having these reports that, you know, 
when the eyes go black, that's become a big motif in film and movies, starting with, well, maybe a little bit before, but really, especially with the X-Files. That started with the X-Files and went on to stuff like Supernatural, uh, the solid black eyes. Uh, and then people begin to see these beings with solid black eyes. Slender Man was the same thing, right? I mean, we know Slender Man was made up, but... These two little girls that tried to kill their friend in Waukesha, Wisconsin, swore that they were talking to Slender Man. So, I really think that these entities that are out there uh, will show themselves as whatever is scary, whatever is frightening. And I also think that there's this, that, that they, not only do they feed off a personal fear, but also the fear and uncertainty that may be in a community. Uh, he makes a good point that you had a wave in Chicago in 2008 during the uncertainty of that election year. Uh, you look at 2008, we had all this, uh, economic issues and then we had, uh, you know, Bush going out and then the, the election between Obama and McCain, uh, how contentious that was. And now in 2016, we're back in another election year. We have a lot of uncertainty and all of a sudden it starts to happen again. And it starts to happen to people that are in a kind of a low income apartment complex. And so their lives are kind of on the brink anyway. And they begin to see this. So there's something very deep and psychological here. And you could say it's all psychological, but I really think that there's these, that there are entities that manifest themselves to whatever you're afraid of. Well, they'll definitely be clowns when they come for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is some, I mean, this is some interesting. Interesting phenomenon that's going on here. Now, I'm not going to rule out that it could be a some kind of stunt, some kind of viral marketing campaign. Right. Well, we, some of them are. We, we are in that age. Yeah, like gags. We know that was. But again, you know, you started seeing, you know, people started putting that online. That was on, that was all over the internet about gags, the clown. And then a couple of weeks later, people start seeing phantom clowns out of nowhere. It's very, it's very interesting. And it goes into, I think, you know, the whole idea that we talked about, we've talked about so many times about alien abduction, about how, uh, certain entities will show themselves as people, as, as visitors from outer space or as, uh, the gray aliens or, or whatever, you know, I, I think what we're dealing with here is right, the, like the same thing. Succubus type yeah. of legends. And, you know, 200 years, 300 years ago uh, in a more rural society, it was fairies, mm. you know, but as things became more industrialized, we begin to have the faceless gray aliens. So I think one of the, also factors now is the existence of like the, a lot of the horror motifs that have come into, into being over the last 70 or so years. And we're, as that becomes more and more 
ingrained in popular culture, we're going to see that more and more reflected back to us. And I think that's what we're seeing. So these are the type of things that I'd love to get like Joshua Cutchin or Steve Stockton or any of those guys, Soraya, yeah, you for know, sure. uh, to, to talk about as, to talk about as well, because I think this is an interesting, um, you do a panel discussion with those guys. Yeah. An interesting psychological phenomenon and an archetypal fun- phenomenon and all those kind of things. And we're going to be talking about something very similar, um, some very similar subjects with Robert Guffey tonight. We're going to talk about his book, Crypto Scatology. So, guys, we will be back on the other side uh, with him. And watch out for Phantom Clowns, I guess. All right, guys, we are back on Conspiracy Normal. We didn't get uh, abducted by any phantom clowns uh, on the on the while we were taking our break. We did see some strange vans in the neighborhood, but uh, we do have on the line uh, Mr. Robert Guffey, and we had talked to Robert back in I think it was the beginning of June uh, about his book Camellio and. Found out that Robert had a couple of other books, one of which I read called Crypto Scatology. And this is kind of a grab bag of several articles that he has written. And I want to kind of go through some of the some of the topics. So Robert, welcome back to Conspiracy Normal. Uh, thank you for having me on. Hey, thanks for coming back. Have you heard about the whole Phantom Clown thing that's going on in South Carolina? It's funny you should mention Phantom Clowns. I, uh, this is not a Phantom Clown story, but it could be. Uh, I, I, was, I was teaching my English 100 class last semester, and I had this one guy who was a real screw-up, and he wouldn't do any of the assignments. He, one of these guys, he'd come into my, my office like mid, midway through the semester and say, what grade am I getting? And then I look in the grade book, and it's like nothing's been turned in. And I'll go, well, you're getting an F so far. And then he looks completely stunned. Why am I getting an F? Well, you haven't turned in any homework yet. Oh, it's like, it, for some reason it had to occur to him that you actually have to write stuff for the, the English class. <laughs> and, for a writing and, class, yeah. <laughs> and so now he's, now he's desperate. He's like, I'm going to get kicked off the, 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 the basketball team or, or I'm going to be sent back to my home country. Uh, my head will be cut off if I don't pass this class. I, what can I do? Are there any extra credit assignments I can do? And just like nonchalantly, like jokingly, I started throwing out all this like extra credit assignments just off the top of my head. And one of the things I said to do was I said, any, on any night other than Halloween, dress up as a clown and peer into <laughs> strangers' bedroom windows at midnight and then write down what happens. The, uh, and then, so I guess he took me literally because oh no. then three days later, he comes back to the office with this four-page paper. He goes, I have the essay. And I go, what essay? The one you asked me to do. And I go, what, what was that? He goes, you know, the one about dressing up as a clown at midnight and peering to strangers, strangers' bedroom windows. I, I, go, <laughs> I go, well, you know, that was a joke. Uh, but since you did it here, give it to me. And so he gives me the essay. I go, you know, j- tell me what, what, what did you do? And he goes, well, he goes, I live on 19th and 11 in Long Beach. And I live in this uh, apartment complex. And, and the apartment looks down into a little bungalow uh, where this family lives, and there's a, there's a woman 
and, and either her husband or her boyfriend. And he goes, so, you know, following your directions at midnight, I had this clown costume left over from last Halloween, so I put it on. And I went downstairs into the backyard outside the sliding glass window that led into the kitchen. And I just stood outside, you know, well out off their property, but like looking into the, the sliding glass window. And this woman's in the kitchen doing dishes. Oh uh, and, and, and she suddenly does a, like a classic double take. She looks, like, sees the clown, goes back to doing the dishes, then looks again and, like, drops the, the dish, you know? And then she, she suddenly, she's yelling, Carlos! Carlos, come in here! Now, her husband or boyfriend, or whatever he is, comes in, Carlos. He's wearing, like, a wife beater and, like, an underwear and nothing else. And, and he looks through the sliding glass door and sees there's this phantom clown outside, just standing there, motionless, doing nothing. And Carlos starts pointing at the sliding glass door and yelling, I, what the hell are you doing out there? I'm going to kick your ass. I'm going to go out there and kick your ass. Meanwhile, he, he doesn't go anywhere near the sliding glass door. He's just standing there yelling at the sliding glass door. He's not going outside to confront the clown physically, uh, nor would I. The, so so, so uh, supposedly, as my student told me, I have no way of knowing if any of this actually happened, uh, the, the, the student said that he watched Carlos, uh, you know, having a fit for a few moments, and then finally just sort of started to back off into the darkness and then turned around and ran with his floppy red shoes <laughs> into the, the back stairwell up the stair all up to his fourth floor apartment, goes into his apartment, locks the door, takes off the clown costume and the makeup, grabs like a lounge chair and puts it out on the fourth floor balcony, gets like a tropical drink with an umbrella in it, and sits there and is drinking and watching the chaos ensue down in the backyard of the little bungalow. So now people, Carlos is crying, the woman's crying, they're freaking out, they're calling 911, the cops show up, now there's like, there's like a police artist drawing a sketch of a psychotic clown. Uh, Carl, you know, the relationship between Carlos and this woman is completely destroyed because he wasn't willing to go out and confront the clown. She now has suffering from post-traumatic stress syndrome. She'll never do dishes again at midnight or any other time. Oh, my God. They're probably going to get salmonella from, from not having any clean dishes. So their lives have been like completely ruined by this offhanded remark I made. Oh, no. <laughs> that was not intended to be taken seriously. Now, now it could be that everything that the student told me in my office was complete BS and that right. he didn't actually do any of that, but he painted such a vivid word picture that I thought, well, that's worth bumping his grade up from a D to a C at least. Uh, I mean, he shouldn't, he shouldn't fail the class now after having come up with this. Uh, so... Uh, that now that could easily have been reported by Lauren Coleman as a phantom clown sighting. Right. So I guess I'm the source of all the phantom clown sightings in, in, in North America. They're just following my extra credit assignments. Well, maybe in South Carolina, there's another English professor that has, that made an offhanded comment to his students. They, and they, they, trans they, they transferred from my class to South Carolina Right, and then that's how that happened. I, re I first remember reading about the Phantom Clowns in Lauren Coleman's book *Mysterious America*, which came out, I think, in the mid '80s, late '80s. Yeah. And there's a great chapter in there called *Phantom Clowns*, and that's the chapter that everyone remembers. We uh, actually was... just read his off uh, his article off the Twilight Language blog that he does that we just uh, about what's been going on this past week in South Carolina. 
I actually don't know the details about what just, what just occurred in South Carolina. Uh, people have been seeing uh, phantom clowns at an apartment complex, a couple of apartment complexes, actually. Uh, they say that the clowns are in the woods and they've been trying to lure children into the woods with candy. And uh, then it actually went nationwide, I guess, in Ohio the other day in Columbus, Ohio. Somebody was in a clown mask was chasing a kid with a knife at a bus stop in the middle of the morning. The, the, there was a rash of phantom clown sightings in, uh, was, I think it was Rhode Island in 1984, I believe. And uh, the, the, I remember one aspect of that story that always fascinated me was, so these clowns would appear like in a truck or a van, and they'd try to lure the kid in. And then, and then like, cops would come and, and chase the, the, the van around the corner, and the van would just disappear, you know, right. at a dead end. Uh, uh, but there was one story where um, this actual clown, in the midst of all this, was on his way to a birthday party, and he got dragged out of his car and got the crap beaten out of him <laughs> by, by these people who thought he was one of these phantom clowns. And they, they soon discovered he was not a phantom clown when their fist actually connected, and he didn't disappear. Uh, so that was a bad day to be a clown in Providence, oh, Rhode no, Island. No doubt, no doubt. It's probably a bad day to be a clown in Greenville, South Carolina, right now. I would, I it, would imagine. It, it's probably always a bad day to be a clown, uh, <laughs> uh, but particularly now, if I if I was a clown, a professional clown, and I heard that there were phantom clown sightings in South Carolina and all over North America, I would suddenly become a mime or something else. I would change (laughs) professions immediately. (laughs) Well, let's get into cryptoscatology. As much as I'd love to talk about this all night. (laughs) We're we're already talking about it in a a weird way. We really are. We really are. I I, want to ask you before we kind of get into some of the individual conspiracy stuff, you know, what's the purpose of writing cryptoscatology? What does that phrase mean? And also, what do you mean as like conspiracy as an art form? Okay, well, the word, I made up the word based on putting together crypto, which is Latin for secret, and scatology, which means the study of feces. I'm not sure how much I can say. So I'll say feces. There you go. Uh, The study of, so if you put it together, crypto and scatology, it's the study of secret feces. Uh, And so, and when I say feces, I mean, of course, not literally, but those aspects of pop culture or subculture that are considered to be either ridiculous or absurd or meaningless uh, without value, off the value grid of society, and that you can learn a lot from studying those things. And of course, conspiracy theory has always been in that outer, has always floated around in that outer limbo, um, halfway between seriousness and absurdity. Uh, when, When something like Watergate happens, suddenly people aren't uh, shy about using the word conspiracy. Right. And of course, people are convicted, legally convicted of conspiracy every day. Uh, and I have a blog post on my blog, Cryptoscatology, somewhere uh, about the origins of, of the term uh, conspiracy theory, because the phrase was actually dreamed up by the CIA in order to combat all the people who were talking about everything that was wrong with the uh, Warren Commission report. And they came up with conspiracy theorists. It was meant to be degrading. But people who are in, into that have sort of uh, assimilated it, you know, uh, and, and made it their own. Uh, and so uh, 
cryptoscatology, the study of secret species, uh, that, can, that can include conspiracy theory, but it can cl- include other things as well that are also considered uh, you know, without value. Uh, and so in terms of the subtitle, Conspiracy Theory is Art Form, the purpose of the book is not to, in a dry academic way, prove that conspiracy theory is an art form. It's more like the act of reading the book itself is proving that it's an art form because the, the book itself is, I argue, a piece of literature or a piece of art. So if you've read it and been entertained by it, then the very act of having done that proves that, in fact, it is an art form. But it's also, there's another level to it. Uh, it's an art form in the sense that very often you're talking about myths or, or half-myths um, and when you talk about a myth, that's not necessarily, it doesn't mean a lie. Uh, Carl Jung wrote about myths uh, very seriously. He wrote a whole book called A Modern Myth of Things Seen in the Sky in the 1950s, all about flying saucers. Right. And, and basically the thesis of the book is that they are physical and they are non-physical. Um, and so a myth uh, isn't necessarily something that's, that's untrue. Uh, when, when Oliver Stone did his JFK film, he called it a, a, a counter-myth. Uh, you know, uh, to countering the Warren Commission myth. Um, and some people might say, well, that's a cop-out to call it a, a counter-myth, but I think that that's actually an appropriate term for it. And so, uh, so in the book, um, I, I go through and I sort of divide up conspiracy theory in the very first chapter. I divide it up into different categories, which I hadn't seen anyone really do to any real extent. Um, any Any new genre, and I would contend that conspiracy theory is its own sort of literary genre. You know, 20 years from now, we'll have college classes being taught about the genre of the conspiracy theory. Uh, and when any, when any art form is sort of new or bubbling to the surface, at first, like when hip-hop came to the fore, you just refer to it as hip-hop. And then as, as people get further into it, suddenly they come up with subdivisions you know, uh, and that's the case with conspiracy theory as well. If you're looking at it from the outside, it may appear to be all the same thing. It's just a bunch of nuts, but you can <laughs> you can clearly divide it up. Uh, and so I have uh, I, I divide it up into basically five or six categories. And the first one, the five those categories are insanity, disinformation, misinformation, satire, legitimate research. And then the sixth category would be sort of the 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 fusion of of the various of these various five, you know, they, they can overlap uh, and create new, uh, new subdivisions. Uh, but the, the first one, insanity, is that that's where you, the, the example I use for that, I, I use specific examples for, for each category. And for the insanity category, I use the example of um, Stephen King shot John Lennon, which came to my attention when I was, um, uh, oddly enough, I was, I was living in Torrance uh, at the time. This is, would have been in the late 90s. And people were telling me, have you seen this van that's driving around Torrance? <laughs> it's a big white van that says Stephen King shot John Lennon. It's always it's a part- white van. Always. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they said there was a clown driving it. And, and no, they didn't say that. Um, there's so this aging hippie driving, uh, driving the van. Uh, and big, big letters, Stephen King shot John Lennon in black letters and then the white van. Uh, and uh, they would, it's parked downtown. You got to go see it. So I'd go and it wouldn't be there. Like the Phantom Clown, they would just, he would just disappear. And every time I'd go to whatever the corner was, they said he was parked on and they, he would be gone. So I never, I never encountered him, even though various people were telling me they saw this van driving around town. Just coincidentally, 
On Halloween, it was October 31st of 1999, I was attending the World Fantasy Con in Monterey, California, which is a considerable distance away from Torrance. I'm walking near the hotel, and on the corner, I see a white van that says Stephen King shot John Lennon on it. And I was like, it's, it's that van. It's that guy that was in Torrance that I kept missing. So I, I walk up to the van, and I knock on it. And sure enough, this aging hippie guy comes out. Uh, his name, he identified himself as Stephen Lightfoot, I believe, was his name. And he gave me his pager number, which I include in the book, if you need to contact him. If you have any information about Stephen King having shot John Lennon, I'm sure he would <laughs> love to talk to you. Um, and, and instantly you could tell that there was, well, if, 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 the, if the white van with Stephen King shot John Lennon on it wasn't enough to tell you there was something wrong, his, his entire manner... Uh, he was very, he was very uh, agitated. Just he, you could tell he was in a perpetual state of agitation. And I, I knocked on the van. I said hello. I write for this magazine called Paranoia. I'm really interested in all these kinds of alternative theories, and I'd like to see what inf- any information you have on this. And he has in the back of the van this just stack of these pamphlets that are that are they've been stapled together. That the title of the pamphlet is Stephen King shot John Lennon with a picture of Stephen King on the cover and a picture of Mark David Chapman right next to it. Um, and he attempts to prove in this pamphlet that it's, it's, it's clear that, uh, that Stephen King was the one who actually shot John Lennon. Uh, and he, I, I wished him luck, and uh, he, he said, you know, here's the pamphlet. I gave him five bucks for it. And he said, you know, anything that you can do to get this information out, you know, please help me. Uh, and I said I would do that. And I asked him if I could include the, the pager number in the article I was writing. He said yes, so that's why his pager number is in there. I, I don't even know if he's still alive. Uh, I know that a friend of mine in New York saw the van parked outside the Dakota building where they shot uh, Rosemary's Baby and where, where John Lennon lived. He was, he was right. out there for some reason. Um, so that, that's my first example of just pure insanity. So not to get too um, far into this, but does he think that – Chapman took the fall for it, or I mean, what is he? Stephen King was the mastermind. Stephen King was definitely the mastermind. Now, whether he's saying that Stephen King is physically the same person as Mark David Chapman, or did did Mark David Chapman take the fall for Stephen King, and they picked Mark David Chapman because they thought he looked vaguely like Stephen King, and they could get away with saying that the guy in the in the photos was not Stephen King. It was this guy, Mark David Chapman. I'm not sure because the pamphlet is not exactly the most lucid uh, <laughs> argument I've ever read. Uh, gotcha. But, okay. Yeah, you have to kind of read between the lines uh, to figure out what is intended in there. Okay, I gotcha. By the way, inside the van were all of these articles, newspaper articles about John Lennon and Mark David Chapman that had been taped to the interior of the van. Um, it, was, it, it, was, it was quite a sight. Oh, was, I'm sure. It, it, it looked like a, it looked like a good time. You know, <laughs> if, if you were free on a Saturday night, it looked like a good time. The the um uh, and then so the, the insanity. That's the first subdivision, and the second one would be disinformation. And disinformation would be that which is purposely created specifically for the purpose of mudding the waters. And so you create a conspiracy theory out of whole cloth or glom onto one that already exists, 
and throw in ridiculous things to make the whole thing seem nonsensical so people won't pay attention to it. And the example I use in the book is this documentary from 1988 called UFO Cover-Up Live, uh, which actually had credible information in it. They, they had interviewed witnesses who had had genuine experiences with close encounters with triangular objects that had left real physical evidence behind. Uh, they were suffering from radiation sickness and, and um, things like that that could be measured. And the people being interviewed are, very, are being, very, being very sincere. Um, but they would mix in with that other information like these uh, people in silhouette talking about how the aliens who are locked away in Area 51, they, their favorite food is strawberry ice cream. Right, right. So they would throw in like weird stuff like that. Uh, this in, this in, would be the guys, now, the, av- the aviary, right? The, the aviary guys, yeah. exactly. Now, I, I, of course, I'm not, I'm not a xenobiologist, so I can't say for sure that <laughs> aliens don't prefer strawberry ice cream. I mean, it could be that they do. Okay. I, 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 you know, 20 years from now, it would be like, that guy was so ridiculous, he, he didn't know that aliens <laughs> like strawberry ice cream. Uh, but, just, but the Falcon I, I, was right the entire time. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I, I hold open that possibility, you know. Uh, but just on the surface of it, just from glancing at it, uh, um, from my perspective now, uh, I would say that that's probably disinformation. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that. Uh, and so, so they throw in like ridiculous things like that, and that makes all the, the legitimate research look ridiculous. Um, and then, then the third category would be misinformation, and that's Sounds like it's the same thing as disinformation, but but it isn't. Misinformation would be if you are sincere in putting forth this theory and you actually believe in it, but you're either mistaken or you've been fed wrong information on purpose. Right. Uh, and so the example I use of that is is a book called NASA Mooned America by a guy named Rene who goes by just the name Rene, like Cher or Madonna. Uh, and... First of all, NASA Mooned America is just a brilliant title. Uh, obviously, it's about the, the moon hoax. Uh, and, uh, and it's NASA Mooned America exclamation point, which is, I, I, I always love that extra little detail in it. And uh, the book is bound in a black electrical tape. And, and uh, in the book, it's really interesting because he actually goes out of his way to um, cast a, a very uh, genuine doubt on the mysterious deaths of uh, Virgil Grissom, Roger Chafee, and Ed White, who were the astronauts who died in the Apollo spacecraft in 1967. They died in a fire on the launch pad. Yes. And um, he actually gives very interesting information about government agents stealing Grissom's diary before anyone even knew there had been a fire, uh, which the same thing was done to Mary Pinchot Meyer, uh, JFK's mistress, in 1964. So that's a he, he he points out things like that that seem like there is something suspicious about those deaths. And also, I, I think he he gives genuine information uh, indicating that NASA does indeed engage in the faking of photographs. Uh, but on, on the other hand, there's also misinformation in there. There's things he gets wrong, like simple details, like mistaking silhouettes for shadows, uh, for example. Um, mistaking artifacts in the photographs as being something else other than what they are. Um, and, and so I don't think he proves that we didn't go to the moon, but he does prove these other things that are valuable. So that's why I say it's misinformation. It's a, it's a mixture of truth and, and untruth. Um, and then, so that's the example for that. And then the fourth category 
which hardly anyone ever talks about, is satire, meaning those conspiracy theories that are created specifically to be satirical in nature, but everyone takes them seriously. Yes. Um, and I use several examples of that, one being the classic example is the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, right. which was originally a satire called Dialogue in Hell, published in 1865, and it was a satire about uh, Machiavelli, and it was plagiarized in 1905 and turned into this anti-Semitic tract. So they took the original target of the satire, pulled that out, and put in the word Jew, Jew, Jew in the middle and throughout the whole text. Uh, and so they turned this play into a, a, a claiming that it was a genuine transcript of this conspiratorial uh, plot. Um, and if you I, bought I can, a Model T Ford... From uh, Henry Ford, you got your own. You got your free copy. <laughs> well, well, you know, in, in Mein Kampf, uh, there, there's that wonderful part in Mein Kampf where Hitler says that there's only one great American, and that's Henry Ford. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and uh, and then and then another example uh, is a book called The Mysteries of Freemasonry by Leo Taxel, uh, which is to this day quoted as being real, but it, Leo Taxel. He, he, he created this entire phantasmagorical narrative about um, sacrifices to Baphomet and being done in Masonic lodges in France, and it created this whole hysteria at the time. And later, uh, Taxel came out and admitted that the whole thing was, was a hoax. It was meant to be a satire. Uh, he actually specifically said it was meant to be a satire, but it didn't matter at that point. It had taken on a life of its own, and so to this day, people quote it if it's, as if it's real. And then a more recent example would be uh, the report on Iron Mountain by Leonard Lewin, um, which uh, that book, which came out in the, the 60s, I believe. Uh, Leonard Lewin at first claimed he edited the book and then later admitted that he actually wrote the book, but the main focus of the book is that supposedly... There were uh, groups of you know, secret uh, military groups in the United States government who were going to fake an alien invasion uh, in order to jack up the, the um, budget for the military uh, and that they were going to fake all these UFO sightings and all this stuff. And the, the funny thing about that is just because something's a satire doesn't mean it's, it's not true because I remember hearing L. Fletcher Prouty say uh, and in fact, he, L. Fletcher Prouty told this to my friend Walter Boark, who wrote uh, Operation Mind Control, a classic uh, book about U.S. government mind control programs that he published in 1978. Walter is uh, now dead. He died in uh, 2008. But, but uh, he told me that L. Fletcher Prouty, you know, who was played by Donald Sutherland in the Oliver Stone JFK film, yes. L. Fletcher Prouty told Walter that he didn't care if it was a satire or not. He knew that there were these, you know, young kids, you know, in their twenties, um, in the Kennedy administration who, who were talking about this very thing, uh, seriously, <laughs> you know, so, yeah. so either so, Leonard Lewin knew that and then made the satire or he just made it up. And it just so happened that his imagination aligned with what was actually being talked about. Some satire I think is based on truth. And there was another one that I wanted to ask you about that I think falls into this category and that's the Mazzini letter. I'm sorry, say it again? The Mazzini letter. What is the Mazzini letter? Uh, it's supposedly a letter that Albert Pike wrote to Mazzini, the uh, Italian revolutionary and Freemason, mm-hmm. that, that 
lays out the plan of the First World War, the Second World War, and the Third World War. And I think it really falls into this category because it just seems like one of those that's way too good to be true. <laughs> right, yeah. It, 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 it hits each... Um, yes. It, 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 it's too one-for-one, right? right? It's, it's too literal, yeah. I mean, even if you look at something like uh, The Open Conspiracy by H.G. Wells, uh, which is sort of similar in nature, except it's it's true. Uh, even that, it, it, he doesn't get it exactly right, you know. Uh, uh, so, I, I, w- I would say I would probably agree with you that that's probably satirical in nature. Yeah, it looks like somebody uh, writing it probably in the '40s or in the '50s and saying that it dates from the 1830s or something like that, you know. So. Yes, I, I, that sort of falls into the category of the. Um, I don't know if you've been following this uh, online, but for the past year or so, this uh, mysterious person has been posting uh, stories about the magic space pussy. No. <laughs> the, the, it's it's a guy who's he, he's the stuff like is epic in in length. I mean, if you take all the posts and put them together, it would form like a very large short story. And this anonymous poster who throws in all these like amazing details claims that he was part of this um, secret like space program and that they had uh, um, access to esoteric technology that was uh, basically looked like a, he, he called his phrase for it was the magic space pussy. And it's this, <laughs> It's this organic alien technology that attaches itself to um, a structure. It can appear spontaneously, like in the, on, a, on the side of a cliff in the middle of the desert, or it could be in, in, in a government laboratory where they've purposely grown it for this purpose. But you go inside the magic space pussy, and then you can be teleported to other areas in the galaxy. Ah, um, okay. And then recently, people have been speculating that the whole thing was a um, viral marketing campaign for the Netflix series uh, Stranger Things. Because uh-huh. if, if you've seen the series, yes. there's literally this kind of vaginal cavity that the characters will go through inside this government facility, and it's a portal to another dimension. But I actually don't think that's the case because, uh, th- first of all, any, any viral marketing campaign, the purpose of it is to lead you along and then finally point you back to the product but there's never any mention of of netflix or or the show stranger things in this ongoing narrative about the magic space pussy uh (laughs) so either it's a coincidence or or both authors were were making something up that happened to overlap with something that's actually going on or i know that originally the show stranger things which has been a huge hit for netflix over the summer was originally pitched under the title Montauk, uh, and in right. fact, it was based on the whole Montauk story. And you can see parallels if you watch the show. There's a beast that's exactly like the beast that Peter Moon and Preston Nichols described in the Montauk book, and it takes place in the same year that supposedly that occurred in, in, in Montauk. I don't know if they decided to change it because they would have had to pay Preston Nichols and Peter Moon money to, to, to use all that material and decided to not do that, or they didn't want to be locked down to an actual specific locale and a specific, uh, specific event. Um, but 
but it could be that the entire Magic Space Pussy uh, story is also an example of uh, satire. I, I, right. I love saying that phrase. Um, it, it, just rolls, it rolls off the tongue so easily. It does. It? I, sometimes I'm just alone in a room saying that phrase uh, over and over <laughs> just to hear out sounds echoing uh, in my classroom. I sit in my classroom by myself and I say that those words over and over again. It's too bad. It's 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 too bad Luke isn't here. He would have uh, perked up from his nap whenever he heard that phrase. So. <laughs> it takes it takes that to to rip him out of his dreamscape. You try it next time. Next time he nods off, just say that. It's like a post hypnotic trigger. He'll just magic just space right pussy. Up. Exactly. Let's talk it's, about it's, the other two categories. The other two categories. So uh, five would be legitimate research, you know, actual real legitimate journalism that's, that's so dangerous or so advanced or so ahead of its time that no mainstream source will dare to put it out. And uh, there are many examples of that, that um, Mae Russell, who was considered to be the queen of conspiracies, um, which is funny because whenever I, whenever a mainstream newspaper or magazine does an article about conspiracy theorists, it's, it's always the same article over and over again. It's always the same kind of mocking kind of tone, and and they'll always claim that conspiracy theorists are mainly male um, and kind of introverted white male. Yeah. Um, and uh, but meanwhile, the, the the person who is the, sort of the spearhead of conspiracy theory was was um, a, a Jewish female, Mae Brussel, uh, the queen of conspiracy theories. Uh, and she, she was at the forefront of investigating Watergate. All she would do, she, she, she wasn't a trained journalist, she wasn't any of that. She would just read the newspaper. She read all these different newspapers, and she was good at pattern recognition. She would see, oh, this, this name here overlaps with that story over there. And so she was able to map out Watergate before anyone had ever written about it, and she, she wrote about it in Paul Krasner's uh, satirical magazine, The Realist, but the articles she wrote were not satire in any way. She was actually trying to reveal what was going on in the Nixon administration. <clears throat> uh, and so before Woodward and Bernstein even got to it, Mae Brussel was already writing about Watergate uh, and the details that surrounded it in this little underground newspaper, uh, The Realist. And so and then there are others, uh, you know, books like um, uh, AIDS, Inc., uh, AIDS and the Doctors of Death, um, Emerging Viruses. That Those books are by John Rappaport, Alan Cantwell, Leonard Horowitz, uh, Ed Haslam's Mary Ferry and the Monkey Virus. Those are all about AIDS as biowarfare weapon. If you mm-hmm. read those books, I think you can see that these books have been uh, very well researched. Um, the book that got me into conspiracy theory is The Assassination of Rory Kennedy by John Christian and William Turner. John Christian was a journalist, and William Turner was an ex-FBI agent, and they teamed up to investigate the death of Robert Kennedy, which was only about 10 years after it had occurred, maybe even less. Uh, and that book is, uh, is it's, first of all, it's an excellent read. Uh, you can read it almost as a novel, um, but also it's fascinating because the, with the JFK assassination, there are so many tentacles and tributaries that some people just get overwhelmed. Uh, they, they might be interested in it, and they might think that, that the mainstream view of it is wrong, but they get so overwhelmed by the multiplicity of, of theories that they just sort of throw their hands up. Uh, with Robert Kennedy assassination, it's, it's much uh, cleaner and tighter 
scenario. You only you have a limited space. The assassination occurred inside a small right. room. Uh, there was there was only um, there was one assassin, but but the, the 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 trajectory of the bullet was clearly coming from a different direction from from where Sirhan Sirhan was. Uh, the it's clear when you hear Sirhan's um, interrogations how he was clearly manipulated into into admitting to the crime or or he, he never even admitted to it. He said he couldn't remember uh, what he did. Yep. Um, but they actually sent in a, a professional hypnotist, uh, Jared Diamond, to, to go in and hypnotize him. And Jared Diamond said, this guy went under in, in two seconds. This was like the best hypnotic subject I've ever come across. <laughs> and he said it was as if he'd been hypnotized many, many times before. Um, wasn't there a link? Uh, wasn't the same psychiatrist uh, that interviewed Sirhan Sirhan, wasn't he the same one that interviewed Mark David Chapman later on? Uh, uh, William Jennings Bryan Third. I believe was the the supposedly the hypnotist who hypnotized uh, Sirhan, uh, and um, uh, that he's a he's a whole character in and of himself. I, I mean, what a what an antagonist! I mean, they should really make a film out of the assassination of Robert Kennedy. William Jennings Bryan plays a huge role in was the book. Was he a relation he was, to the the William Jennings Bryan? <laughs> yes, he, yes, he was, and, oh. and often talked about that. Uh, uh, and he he also was a um, he had a, a hypnotherapy school in Los Angeles, and uh, he often served as the technical advisor to Hollywood films having to do with hypnosis. So he was the technical advisor on the Manchurian Candidate, <laughs> appropriately enough. Really. And um, uh, Roger Corman's Tales of Terror, based on the Poe story. Um, which deals with hypnotism. Francis Ford Coppola's first film, um, the name of which escapes me, uh, and and various other films having to do with hypnotism. So he was he was um, in deep. He had his roots into uh, Hollywood, and uh, he, according to two prostitutes uh, who were with him, he he would often uh, brag about the people who he had hypnotized, and he mentioned Sirhan as as being one of them. Uh, uh, the 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 Sirhan, you know, Sirhan, he's still he's still in in in, in prison and with no memory of of what occurred. Um, uh, so that that's that's another book that I recommend in terms of legitimate research. Uh, America's Secret Establishment by Anthony Sutton, uh, Above Top Secret by Timothy Good, on and on. And then yeah. the sixth category would be those that simply are are mixtures or overlapping, you know, hybrid cases like. Uh, like if you mix insanity with misinformation, that would be uh, a good example of that, I think, would be uh, The Black Sun, which is the fourth book in the Montauk series by Peter Moon. And there he talks about how Mark Hamill, the actor Mark Hamill from Star Wars, is the, the uh, genetically engineered progeny <laughs> of Project Paperclip Nazi scientist. Uh, well, and, I uh, thought it would be Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> I, that would be easier to accept, I think. <laughs> I wonder if anyone's ever asked Mark Hamill about this. Have you seen this? You know? yeah, and then he gets nervous and, and runs away. 
I, I, you know, so I, I think that that would be an example of, of insanity and misinformation because he seems sincere when he's talking about it. So I don't think it's disinformation. I think right. Peter Moon means it when, when he's writing, when he's writing that. So, so those are the, those are roughly the, the six, uh, subdivisions that, that I lay out in, in chapter one. Wow. That's a, that, that... That's a lot of information there. <laughs> that was a long answer to the first question. Well, I want to ask you, um, I, I want to get into a little bit of some of the individual stuff. And, and since we're on the subject of mind control, and, and this is actually kind of outside of the purview of the book, since we mentioned the Stephen King stuff, what are your thoughts on the assassination of John Lennon? Do you think that there could have been some kind of tie to mind control there, especially with Chapman? I, you know, of of the cases in which it's been speculated that mind control had some hand in it, meaning Lee Harvey Oswald and Sir Anne Surhan uh, and um, um, Hinckley, right? Uh, who, of course, was was friends with the Bush family. Just got released um, from the mental hospital not too long yeah. ago, actually. Yep. <laughs> yes, he did. Uh, um, the the Mark David Chapman case is I, re- I read Fenton Bressler's book Who Shot John Lennon yeah, I have too. It, mm-hmm. and, and of those cases it seems to be the one that's the thinnest to me in terms of uh, pointing uh, specifically at, at concrete pieces of evidence and saying yes definitely Mark David Chapman has an overlap with these people who were clearly involved in say MKUltra which which you can do with with Sirhan or even even with uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, though I, I don't actually think Lee Harvey Oswald was the one who who pulled the trigger. Right. Um, but there are those who who claim that perhaps he was under mind control. There was a mysterious operation that occurred in Russia, et cetera, et cetera. There's there's more evidence for that than I think there is for for Mark David Chapman. But I'm basing that almost entirely on Fenton Bressler's book. Um, uh, it could be that there's further information that I'm not even aware of. Though, I, I don't doubt that, uh, I, would, I would call that, if that happened, if John Lennon was a target of, of an actual politically motivated assassination, I would say that that's what I would call voodoo assassination. You know, the entire purpose of it is to, it's not like, in the JFK assassination or the Robert Kennedy assassination where they're targeting a specific person to prevent that person from enacting a particular piece of legislation or something, you know, concrete like that with John Lennon, uh, you know, whose influence was certainly, uh, in 1980 was not anywhere near as intense as it was in 1969. Right. Certainly. Uh, um, however, he was sort of emerging from the cocoon, the self-imposed cocoon that he put himself in, uh, mainly because he was trying to become uh, a citizen. And so he had to lay low and not Im- involve himself in any overt political activity. Uh, he had finally become an actual U.S. citizen because he wanted to stay in New York. And so he was planning on coming back to political life. But it does it is telling that his assassination overlaps with the election of, of Ronald Reagan, Um, Reagan was elected and then literally what four weeks later John Lennon's assassinated that's a telling coincidence or synchronicity and Uh, Lennon had made so many comments that like if something happens to me he would say stuff like that to people 
Oh, yes, he said that to May Brussel, yeah. in fact. Um, uh, May Brussel uh, mentioned that. Um, and, and, and John Lennon was very interested in May Brussel's uh, research. Uh, I remember Paul Krasner. I spoke to Paul Krasner once on the phone. He, he mentioned that to me. Really? Um, uh, and, and so I, I, don't, I don't dismiss it uh, because I think that the purpose of it would have been to, well, that would have been the nail in the coffin, right? Reagan's elected and then John Lennon's dead. It's, it's, it's like a voodoo, uh, uh, synchro mystic uh, nod to the masses to, uh, you know, uh, half fun, half fun, quick because recess is almost over. I mean, you've got the whole catcher in the rye thing. I think that's the big thing for me. It's just like uh, Chapman kills him and uh, he shoots him, and then just is just just pulls out the catcher in the rye and starts reading it, and just just sits there waiting for somebody to take him into custody. Basically, he doesn't run away or anything, and he makes he he has made claims himself that he doesn't remember what happened. Yes, there, there, you you imagine some CIA scientist who is, for some reason, really pissed off at J.D. Salinger. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, all those guys, the, everyone who created the CIA, you know, they were all Yale yeah. graduates. You know, James, Jesus, Anglinton, they were all, they were literary majors. You know, they were like, you know, they were like frustrated poets and writers. You know, E. Howard Hunt, you know, was a, yes. was a writer. You're right. Uh, he, he fancied himself Hemingway. Yeah, um, they, they modeled that in uh, the X Files. Did that with the cigarette smoking man, where he had him being like a kind of like a frustrated writer in one of the episodes. Yes, I, I, yeah. I, 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 in fact, I mentioned that episode at one point in the science fiction chapter in Cryptoscatology. That's a very, very clever episode. I, I, I compare him also to uh, Michael Aquino, the um, uh, infamous uh, Satanist, uh, who was uh, L- Lieutenant Colonel Michael Aquino. Uh, he, he was attached to supposedly nefarious uh, goings-on at the Presidio in San Francisco. Right. And uh, Michael Aquino uh, wrote a lot of Star Wars fan fiction, and he would inundate <laughs> George Lucas. He would, he would actually stand outside the, the gate at that uh, Skywalker Ranch, desperately wanting to be let in to show George Lucas his proposals for the next, like, 16 Star Wars movies. Really? Uh, <laughs> and... And he, he published some of these in the pages of Forrest J. Ackerman's Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine, which was a kind of a cheap jack magazine that was all about, you know, like B science fiction films and stuff like that. Uh, and uh, Forrest Ackerman published some of uh, Michael Aquino's stories about Darth Vader, and he, he, he would throw in all this weird esoteric symbolism about Darth Vader being um, the progenitor of this psycho-civilized society, uh, it, it almost paralleled um, Jose Delgado's book, uh, Physical Control of the Mind, which was published in the summer of 1969. And Delgado was this mind control scientist who had come from Spain, and he had done all these uh, experiments with bulls. Because, of course, in Spain, you know, the main symbol of machismo is getting into a ring with a bull. So Delgado would do that, but he would do it with this remote control device, and he would crack open the skull of the bull and put in a, a remote control machine there, and then he would get into the ring with the bull, and then he'd have the little red cape, and behind the cape he'd have this remote control device, and so he'd make the bull run and then stop and then go backwards and then go sideways. And so this was to prove that he could remotely control 
living beings from afar. The CIA saw that. There, there were articles in the newspaper about it. You know, it wasn't like a secret covert experiment. Right. This actually but happened. Yeah. yeah. It, it really happened. Yeah. The CIA saw that, and they were really impressed by it. And they brought him over to America, and he began teaching at Yale. And he, st- he continued doing experiments at Yale. And then, and then from, from Yale, uh, he, he starts doing a lot of the um, experiments on in, insane asylums, you know, uh, uh, patients in mental wards and uh, prisoners and children. Uh, and he talks about it freely in Physical Control of the Mind. He talks about, oh, yeah, you know, we took this mental patient and, and we were able to instill orgasms, you know, from afar. Uh, they were able to take a monkey and he could, from another room, just turn a button and make one pupil dilate while the other was not dilated. Huh. You know, he could control it to that degree. Uh, and, and, and so Del, Delgado, you know, was involved in all this, and there's a connection between Delgado and, and if you read the book, uh, Were We Controlled?, which is all about, that was one of the earliest conspiracy theory books about the JFK assassination. And that author links Delgado with Lee Harvey Oswald in the book, or at least links the technology with, with Lee Harvey Oswald. It's an interesting book, Were We Controlled? Wow. And, and um, uh, now what's interesting is that uh, in Camellio, you know, my friend Damien, uh, everything that he went through in Camellio was in San Diego, was in the Pacific Beach area. And uh, Damien went through all that in 2003 and 2004 in San Diego. Well, flash forward, you know, I was in the middle of writing the manuscript of Camellio, and I see an obituary in the newspaper for Jose Elgato, who had died, I think it was in, it was either in, I think it was 2011. And he died in San Diego. He, Jose Delgado had retired to San Diego. He was living in the same really? exact area <laughs> as, where, as where Damien was living at the time. Um, that was, hmm. I thought that was an, uh, an incredible um, coincidence. But that also, oddly enough, overlaps with uh, mentioning, mentioning uh, Aquino uh, and, and Delgado. That also overlaps with uh, this whole thing that I've been writing recently. I've been working on a book called Hollywood Haunts the World, an investigation into uh, the cinema of occulted taboos. Uh, and basically the whole thesis of the book is that um, there are, it, it basically studies the way that sort of cultural taboos are hidden in popular entertainment and particularly in film. So I wrote a whole chapter Originally, it was going to be a short chapter, and it blew up into being about it's like it's about 150 pages. This one chapter, you know, it could almost be a book in itself. But it's called uh, "The Brains That Killed Kennedy," and basically, I sort of analyzed the Kennedy assassination from a perspective that no one's ever done before, which was I analyzed it entirely through film, uh, through the films that seem to predict. The assassination, the films that come out around the same time as the assassination, and then the films that come out afterwards that comment on the assassination. Uh, so the, one of the, the first movies I talk about is this film called Creature with the Atom Brain, uh, which was written by Kurt Siodmak. And Kurt Siodmak was a science fiction writer who, who was also recruited into, into the OSS during World War II. So this is one of those early overlaps between the science fiction community and the intelligence community. 
And Kurt Siadmak hmm. had written a book called Donovan's Brain. It was a bestseller. It's the book that he's most known for. It was published in, I think, 1941. And soon after that, he got a call from the OSS. They wanted to, they were fascinated by Donovan's brain because the whole plot of Donovan's brain is about the scientist who learns how to control people remotely, uh, how, how okay. to kill remotely, how to hmm. control someone from afar and make them kill. Uh, that's like the dream. That was the dream of the cryptocracy at that time, you know, action at a distance. You know, that's right. why they've perfected it with drones. Right? You, you want to you wanna kill someone and you don't want to be in the room when they're, when they're dying, basically. That's, yep. the, that's the dream. Good point so, there. Good point. Yep. And also, the guy who recruited Seattle thought that the book Donovan's Brain, the main character Donovan, they thought it was a satire on William Donovan, who was the head of the OSS, uh, it turned out that was just a coincidence, but that was that was the reason that it had caught the eye of the OSS agent who recruited Kurt Siadmak into the operation. So Siadmak has this relationship with the OSS, and you see traces of that leaking out into the science fiction films he was writing in the 1950s. And one of those is a film called Creature with the Atom Brain. Later on, Rokey Erickson wrote a song with the same title. Um, uh, Interesting. There's, there's a weird Rokey Erickson connection there, which maybe I'll get back to in a moment. Uh, but, but Creature with the Atom Brain, so you have Kurt Siadmak, this, this OSS slash CIA agent, writing the film, and the film is all about this scientist, this Nazi scientist, uh, who, who comes up with the means to control people from afar and turn them into mind-controlled assassins. Uh, the only the the twist in the movie is that they're dead, but that's the only uh, that's that's the that's the science fictional aspect of it that that they're these zombies you know who are being controlled. Take the zombie part out of it, and you have pretty much like a documentary. Kind of uh, sounds like Plan Nine from Outer Space, like a little bit of the the plot there. Oh well, well of course Plan Nine they're reviving uh, the reviving the aliens are reviving the dead right to. Right. Uh, to, to attack people. But in, in the, what's significant about Creature with the Atom Brain is there's a scene right in the middle of the film where a scientist gives an impromptu lecture to the main character who's investigating all of this. And literally, he pulls down a, a white screen and plays a film. Uh, and the film is all about mind control. And he actually specifically mentions this Spanish scientist you know, in Madrid who had done all these experiments on, huh. on mind control. So he actually mentions Jose Delgado, not by name, right. but in every other way, it's clearly Delgado. And this was obscure research in the 50s. You know, this wasn't the stuff that was, uh, I mean, even maybe if you, if you followed closely the, ger- the medical journals or something, you know, um, but it, it, you know, Delgado hadn't published his book yet. That doesn't come out until 1969. So you see people like Siadmak who are kind of throwing out pieces, telltale pieces of information in the form of fiction, particularly science fiction, because again, science fiction is kind of like that cryptoscatology limbo area where people, particularly in the 50s, didn't really pay attention to it. It was considered to be kind of trashy, not literary in any way. Right. And so you could kind of slip things under the radar into a B science fiction film that no one was paying attention to. Uh, so... The whole that whole chapter in the book, the the brains that kill Kennedy, analyzes films like that, um, and there's a lot of them. 
there's there's another film that came out uh, around the same time, the late 50s, called The Gamma People. The original screenplay for which was written by Robert Aldrich, who was actually um, Nelson Rockefeller's cousin. And at that time, Nelson Rockefeller was the special assistant to the president for psychological warfare. So it's interesting that at that time when they were doing experiments on children, they were doing radiation experiments on children and mind control experiments on children. You see that reflected in the plot of this B science fiction film, The Gamma People, which is all about this, this mind control scientist who's doing both radiation and mind control experiments on children. And it's interesting that's written by this guy who was Nelson Rockefeller's cousin. Robert Aldrich actually, at that time, wasn't well known. Later on, he became famous for directing Kiss Me Deadly and a lot of classic films. But at that time, he was, he was just sort of like a hired scribe for the studio coming up with these crazy ideas. Uh, and, and, though, and, so, and also, you have a film like in the 70s, Parallax View, which was written by Lauren Singer, who was also a member of the OSS, and that, that film is, again, all about this assassin who kills a presidential candidate on the Space Needle in Seattle. And then Warren Beatty, the main character, learns that all, all these lone net assassins are all connected to this one corporation called uh, Parallax, Bro. which is clearly Bro. based on Permindex, which was a Swiss corporation that was involved in the JFK assassination. And so when you realize that the guy writing it was an OSS agent, Lauren Singer, you have to wonder, well, is this something he was just dreaming up, or is this stuff that he was actually basing on facts that he that he knew? I, I, I think the, there's an inbreeding going on between Hollywood and intelligence agencies. I think there always has been, probably since the beginning, the beginning of Hollywood. Um, I think now, too, what you're getting is a lot of people leaving places like the CIA and becoming consultants on films and on public relations. Oh yeah, that's true. I, I remember, um, uh, Chris Carter has mentioned that they had, yep. uh, on, on staff on the X-Files, uh, consultants who would give them ideas. And of course, infamously the pilot episode of their, uh, lone gunman, yeah, off was all about <laughs> a plane being remotely flown into the World Trade Center. Yes, and that aired about a year before it happened. Yes, uh, which is funny because when nine eleven happened, everyone was talking about, "Oh my God, this is something that no one could ever possibly predict. Uh, no one had ever imagined that something like this could happen," uh, which is bizarre because I had clear memories of uh, the Cessna that was flown into the White House. People forget about this. There was a small Cessna that flew right into the White House uh, when Bill Clinton, like where Bill Clinton would have been having breakfast, but he was like in another wing of the White House. And this little plane just came in. You know, you would think that uh, an airspace as guarded as that, a plane would not be allowed to crash into the president's, you know, dining hall. Uh, but this this one was, uh, and and so. I remember when, when 9-11 happened that morning and everyone was saying, well, this is just so bizarre. No one ever thought about it. Um, but how could that possibly be? <laughs> a plane crashed into the White House. They, they didn't think about this possibility. Well, I want to get into Columbine, but this is a good segue into it because in Bowling for Columbine, Michael Moore t- puts a clip, and this is news, this is a news reporter reporting this maybe a couple of days after Columbine, which is, you know, a good 
two and so two and a few months, years before 9-11. And they say that Eric Harris had this idea to crash planes into buildings in New York City. <laughs> that's right there in that documentary. Uh, th- that's in Bowling for Columbine. That's in Bowling for Columbine. Yep. Ah, okay. I have to. I have to check that out. I I did see Bowling for Columbine, but uh, I don't remember that part. Oddly enough, um, well, the, you know, the Eric Harris and and Dylan. I, I mean, <laughs> that that that's. I remember when that happened because it was it was April twentieth, nineteen ninety nine. Mm-hmm. And I remember I, w- I watched the raw news footage as it was coming through on CNN. And they had all these reporters there. And all the kids were coming out, you know, bloody, pieces of flesh stuck to their face, you know, uh, obviously traumatized. And, and the news reporters were sticking microphones in their faces and saying, you know, how do you feel? And, and one guy asked this kid, you know, what, what, what did you experience? What did you see? And the kid... Uh, said, uh, I saw three people. I saw, you know, two kids wearing black, and then there was an older man wearing a white T-shirt and blue jeans. And he was tossing bombs around, like gas bombs, while while Dylan and Eric were, were shooting up the place. Uh, and then, uh, they, then later on, the reporter, a different reporter is talking to some other kid, and this kid says the same thing. And, but this is a little while later, maybe like an hour later. 90 minutes later. And this other kid says, uh, oh, oh um, I saw that. I saw three people, but I must be wrong because everyone's saying there's only two. <laughs> so, right. uh, despite the fact that the kid was there and saw it, he was questioning his own sanity because obviously the news said that that wasn't the case. So, and This, so is, in, the, in this me- is the two-man or the third-man phenomenon that keeps popping up all the time. Yep. And, and, and it just happened again in, in Florida uh, the, the, right after the nightclub shooting. Yeah. The, uh, I, uh, someone called in. The, you know, again, it's always the raw information as it's happening. That's, that's what you need to listen to. The person called into a radio show in Florida and said that there was a second guy in the nightclub who was blocking the exits, preventing people from leaving while the other guy was shooting up the place. Yeah, we played a, the- we played a clip of the of not that not not the radio call in, but there was somebody else that was being interviewed the day after uh, by the by the news media, and they were saying the same thing that a guy bolted the door. Yeah, and then they all they the second or the third man they always disappear. Right, and then the other person will end up dead. Yeah, um, and so and therefore they can't talk and that happened in the uh, San Bernardino the shooters as well yep. I, I want to ask about Columbine because there was some uh, very interesting information that you posit in the book about how there almost seemed to be well there was this weird death education thing that was taking place in the school and there was some other kind of controversy that was going on and it seemed like it was very almost a set up situation in a way. It was a really, it's one of those weird things where you have to, after the event, in retrospect, you look back at all these other things and you think, how could all this have occurred at the same (laughs) high school in the same location? There was, there was one uh, controversial case because there was a teacher 
in high school teaching a class. Uh, it was death education. He would take the kids on field trips to um, morgues and show them dead bodies <laughs> and things like this. It was kind of like classic, like right out of you know Brave New World. That's actually in all of Suxley's Brave New World. They, uh, they talk about how they uh, desensitize uh, children to death at an early age so that they so it's not an emotional issue for them. Um, and, and so you had that case and then you had the, 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 uh, the case with, um, uh, the film that they were showing the, the, um, the Bertolucci film. 1900. Uh, right. About the, 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 about fascism, about Mussolini. And, um, there were some controversy about not wanting the film to be shown. um, then, a- and then after the Columbine, then you had cases you, that I would find uh, barely reported in the news of um, the the day uh, that that all the students went back. There were you know swastikas carved on the wall and 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 warnings not to come back and just bizarre things like that. And, and yeah. they seem disparate and disconnected, but then. When when you know uh, when you take the Columbine incident in, into into consideration and you look at all of it as a pattern, you begin to wonder if Columbine was some sort of uh, well a, a laboratory, a behaviorist test center, which is not uh, unprecedented. There were all kinds of links, and I think that uh, Michael Moore does a good job in that documentary. There's all kinds of links to these kids that so many of their parents worked for the military-industrial complex. Well, th- there's that, too. Uh, th- that, um, it's, I, it's amazing how I mean, the, when, when I talk to uh, people who have either been involved in, uh, they either claim to have been involved in mind control programs uh, as children, um, very often their parents are in some way connected to the intelligence agency uh, or to to the military, and um, I have a a friend, uh, someone who I know, who she's been working for many years as a entertainment lawyer, and uh, she grew up in the in the '60s, and her father was a very uh, powerful judge uh, in up in Washington State, and she has um, and he had he had very powerful friends and connections to law enforcement and, and intelligence agents. He was, he was a very, very influential judge in that area. And she has distinct memories of being uh, trained, uh, literally in camouflage, uh, mm. trained in warfare, hand-to-hand combat out in the middle of the woods uh, somewhere uh, at a very early age, all the way on up into like her teenage years. And to this day, she doesn't understand what that was about. Why, why were they doing that? She doesn't remember being deployed in any way. Or if she was, she doesn't remember it. Hmm. Um, uh, and, and so very often you find that that's the case. I don't know how you would ever convince someone to donate their child <laughs> to, to such a program. But, you know, these people certainly exist. Um, well, I guess if they're told that it's for the good of the country or it's for the good of, you know, we're fighting the communists or, or whatever that you have to tell them, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Or maybe it's just a class thing of just like we're 
we're better than everybody else and we need to be doing this. It's such a buzz. That's it's such a bizarre thing, but you see it. I've seen it again and again, these links to a lot of these events, and there's always some link to some kind of military industrial complex company or some kind of intelligence agency. It's always there. It seems. Oh, absolutely. And, and it's like, uh, like what I was, uh, saying before about uh, Jose Delgado or you know his uh, his close associate Louis Jolyon West uh, was also one of the infamous MK Ultra uh, monsters, I guess you could say. I, I in the back and the afterward, I I have this whole analysis where I sort of uh, analyze the cast of characters in the book Cryptoscatology. I was when I turned in manuscript, the editor. Uh, asked me, uh, Chris Milligan, who's the publisher of Trying Day, he said, I didn't originally have an afterword. I had an introduction and I had the 22 chapters and then it just ended. And, and he said, you know, I really think you need to like wrap it up with some sort of afterword. He goes, the thing is, I can't possibly imagine you wrapping all this up in a way that would in any way make sense. <laughs> it seems to be like, you know, the completely disparate chapters. How are you going to wrap it all up in, in one afterword? I said, I can do it. Uh, and I, and in fact, the afterward was written in a very short space of time because I had already been thinking in my mind that these were kind of all aspects of the 22 cards of the major arcana of the tarot, uh-huh. the, uh, the, the 22 archetypes that are represented by the magician and the, and, and the lightning struck tower. And anyone who knows the tarot, you know, knows those, those major arcana cards. And so it was very easy for me to wrap up the whole book and tie in all the threads through that metaphor of the, of the tarot cards, of these archetypes, these mythic archetypes, which, which followed through from the introduction where I was talking about conspiracy theory as myth. And so there's one point where I, I talk about the, 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 the monsters, as I call them, as, as Walter Broart told me, he called me the day that Louis Jolyon West died and said another, another monster has died. Because um, Broart had spent his life tracking these people, Delgado and, and Louis Jolyon West and, and William Jennings Bryan. Uh, and Louis Jolyon West, he shows up again and again and again in these cases. Uh, in he shows up in o- Oklahoma City bombing, in the Patty Hearst case, in the Zodiac Killer case. He shows up in the O.J. Simpson trial. Uh, just uh, in in Waco, he was the one they called in into Waco to uh, to advise, um, and, and that situation as well. And uh, uh, you wonder uh, how these people justify everything that they did. Uh, like I said, it, in Delgado's case, of experimenting on on mental patients, on on children. John Rappaport edited a book called "Mind Control Experiments on Children," and it's 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 simply he writes an introduction, and it's simply raw government documents that were that was from the the commission. During the Clinton administration, around about 1994, 95, uh, they held an entire um, investigation into these radiation experiments that, that were done on kids. Well, that opened Pandora's box because a lot of these kids were also who who were you know those who had survived, who, who were now older, uh, were saying, well, it wasn't just radiation experiments; they were doing mind control experiments as well. Uh, and so you had. You had these psychiatrists who came out now and were testifying, and so it went on the record. And in fact, you can actually find some of that some of that testimony on YouTube. But uh, Rappaport compiled this whole collection 
of all the testimony of these psychiatrists who, tr- who treated the kids for, for uh, the trauma that they'd experienced from having been experimented on. And all these radiation experiments also overlapped with the mind control experiments. And so how, you know, how did they, how does someone like Jose Delgado justify cracking the skull open of a mental patient and then stimulating orgasms from afar? <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's the, um, uh, as you said, uh, with, it's the, the fight against communism. Anything can be justified. But the fact is that how much of the, how much of that was them actually being sincere in their attempt to fight communism, or was that right. just that the convenient cover? Right. The fact is that a lot of these people are just sadistic a holes, and then they use right. whatever the threat is at the time. In the 1950s, it would have been communism. Now it's terrorism with the with the gang stalking thing. Exactly. I suspect that a lot of these people are just sadistic a holes who like. Uh, experimenting on people, surveilling people, watching people, um, and they use the whole terrorism thing as an excuse. And the lower-level people maybe are sincere and actually um, believe in this whole line that they're fighting terrorism. But I get a sense that a lot of them don't even really believe it. Uh, I want to ask you real quick, what do you think about a connection between alien abduction stories and uh, mind control? Oh, well, I, I mean, I think there's a strong connection between those two things. The yeah. first uh, person to write about that was, was Jacques Vallée um, in Messengers of Deception, where he wrote about the Heaven's Gate people, uh, Marshall Applewhite and, and his wife, who formed the Heaven's Gate cult. And uh, another, seems to me, a clear mind control experiment either gone awry or gone, gone perfectly, uh, uh, perfectly to order, uh, which occurred in, in San Diego. Again, San Diego comes up uh, in 1999, where supposedly they were trying to rendezvous with the Hale-Bopp comment, and they all committed suicide, Jim Jones yes. style. Well, Marshall Applewhite, he comes out of um, um, Texas. He was in an insane asylum in Texas. <laughs> Get this. See, there was a thread I mentioned about an hour ago that you no, no doubt thought I forgot or just dropped, uh, but now it's coming back. Uh, Mar- Marshall Applewhite was in an insane asylum. In the same exact insane asylum was Roki Erickson. Oh, uh, <laughs> mu- really? The, the musician who has suffered from a, a whole variety of anxiety and like bipolar disorders his entire life. Uh, he, he wrote a song called Creature with the Adam Brain. Uh, which is the film I mentioned earlier that had been written by Kurt Seabach and is all about Jose Delgado metaphorically and mind control. Well, there's something about that film that must have really touched a nerve in Roki Erickson because he writes this whole song that metaphorically is about mind control. But meanwhile, he was uh, in, in the same uh, insane asylum in Texas that Marshall Applewhite was in. Marshall Applewhite, while in this insane asylum, meets a nurse, and he and the nurse go off together and form Heaven's Gate. Uh, if, <laughs> that, I mean, that looks suspicious right, right there. I mean, how, how much was, was Marshall Applewhite some sort of guinea pig? And in fact, that's what they called themselves. Guinea and pig were their code names for each other. Hmm. Uh, and um, uh, Jacques Vallée wrote about them in Messengers of Deception. In that same book, <clears throat> Vallée mentions Operation Mind Control, the book by 
Walter Boart because he he mentions having been invited over to the private home of this high-ranking general whose name he doesn't give specifically. But the, the, the general calls Jacques Vallée into his private library and he says, you know, the key to most of these UFO abductions is this book here. And he pulls out Operation Mind Control <laughs> by Walter Boer. He goes, you should read this book. Uh, fl- flash forward, when I was on uh, uh, George Knapp, uh, when the, the George Knapp show on, um, on Coast to Coast, the reason George Knapp invited me on was because his co-author, Colm Kelleher, the physicist with whom he wrote the book uh, Hunt for the Skinwalker, mm-hmm. about the infamous the Skinwalker Ranch where all this odd phenomenon was going on, Colm Kelleher had been told to read Camellio by Jacques Vallée. Uh, Jacques Vallée said to Colm Kelleher, you should read this book, which if, if someone like Jacques Vallée and Colm Kelleher or reading it, that should indicate that, you know, this isn't nonsense. They, they took it seriously enough to think, hey, wait a minute, this may explain the phenomenon that was going on in the Skinwalker Ranch, um, which I think is, is, we were talking off the air before this began about David Pilates right. and, and his missing 411 uh, scenario. I, I think that that's why you mentioned to me that David Pilates had, had mentioned Camellio during a different interview. And I think that that's probably his interest in the Camellio material because, as I mentioned earlier, you can use covert technology to, to uh, cloak soldiers in the battlefield. You can also use it to cloak other people to literally disappear them. And I think a lot of these urban disappearances might fall into that category. Um, and so uh, Jacques Vallée, uh, when he talks about the UFO cult being used almost as a barometer uh, to test, to see how people would react to this type of uh, sort of fascist, fascist message from the stars. The, the, the message from the space people are often very, you know, fascist in, in nature, which is, you know, like that, that guy, uh, the Rael guy who has the uh, Star of David with the swastika entwined within it. Right. Uh, um, the, uh, uh, I think uh, a lot of the UFO abduction is, in fact, a cover for covert experimentation. But uh, I don't want to go out and on a limb and say all UFO phenomena can be explained in that way, because sure. I don't think that that's the case, because there's sure. UFO phenomena that goes back. You know, if you read Charles Fort, he's got stories going back into the 1800s and, and even earlier. So I think there's a mimicking effect there. Uh, I think the intelligence agencies, they, they understand their myths. They have writers, science fiction writers, working for them, as I've already demonstrated with Kurt Ziodmak and writers like Lauren Singer and, and writers like uh, Cordwin or Smith, uh, who's an obscure science fiction writer. He was an excellent short story writer um, who, who, whose real name was Paul Linebarger. Uh, and he literally wrote the book on psychological warfare. It, the book is called Psychological Warfare. He wrote it in the 40s. And Cordner Smith was a very brilliant man who, by the way, was college roommates with L. Ron Hubbard. I'll have to get back in, into that. It's, it's, it's pretty clear if you look at L. Ron Hubbard's material that he made up about himself. A lot of that he took from Paul Linebarger's background. Really? Um, <laughs> it's, it's a very strange intersection of personalities but it's clear when you read which i have i've read paul Linebarger's book psychological warfare i've also read his science fiction 
and it's clear when you read the book Psychological Warfare that he had a very idealistic view of what psychological warfare could be used for. His whole uh, aim in the book is to show that you can use psychological warfare to de-escalate a situation. And he, in fact, he came up with a method during World War II of he, he, he was an expert in language, particularly in Asian languages and Asian culture. He had gotten his first PhD when he was like 13 or something. <laughs> uh, and and he, he actually developed this um, method whereby he created these flyers and, and he phrased it in such a way uh, that the flyers actually encouraged the Japanese to uh, surrender after, after, the, after Hiroshima uh, to, to cut down on the amount of casualties because there were a lot of, no, even despite the fact that the war was ostensibly over, there were a lot of Japanese soldiers who, because of their pride or their honor, would not just lay down their weapons because the, the war was over. And so Linebarger came up with this cleverly phrased flyer that he had them drop um, uh, um, to, to convince the Japanese soldiers to surrender rather than keep fighting. So there were things like that that he, he used psychological warfare as a method to de-escalate violence. But it's clear uh, that later on, and you can find an article online by William E. Kelly called The Big Con at Daily Plaza. Uh, one of Lyme Barger's, two of Lyme Barger's students were E. Howard Hunt, who I mentioned earlier, who was involved in Watergate and no doubt the JFK assassination as well. Uh, well, e. Howard Hunt admitted it. He had a deathbed confession where he said he was involved in the JFK assassination. Yes. No one recovered covered that except for Rolling Stone. Uh, and, uh, and Ed Lansdale, who, according to, uh, he was also a student of Paul Linebarger. According to L. Fletcher Prouty, Ed Lansdale was on the scene at uh, Daily Plaza and was involved in the assassination. There's an excellent paragraph in Kelly's article where he writes, when Paul Leinbarger gave his lectures to young CI officers, he warned them that these techniques should never be used domestically or we would totally destroy our form of democracy. Well, those techniques were used in the assassination of President Kennedy and are being used today. Democracy has never been the same. If you read his fiction, you can see he actually plants codes. There's a book called Quest for the Three Worlds, where if you take the first letter of each paragraph, it spells out Kennedy shot. Then the next paragraph spells out Oswald shot too. And the hmm. paragraph that spells that out, the whole paragraph is talking about mind control technology. Really? And secret <laughs> societies and all this other stuff. So it, it's I clear think to you're me that, Rob's mind over here. I think <laughs> yeah, that, that's pretty intense. <laughs> that is intense. Then I write about that in chapter five. Of, uh, of the book. Now, when I wrote the book, however, I didn't know yet that E. Howard Hunt and Ed Lansdale had been Leibbarger students. Otherwise, I would have put that in, in Chapter 5, because that's, <laughs> that's a key piece of information, you know, which I, I simply wasn't aware of when, before the book went to print. But uh, that, there's a, I have a blog post about it. But if you look at the, the article, The Big Con at Daily Plaza by William E. Kelly, he writes about, about Leibbarger. Uh, so when, when you know that there's these science fiction writers like, like Linebarger and Kurt Siotomac who are, who are recruited by intelligence agencies, then it's not hard to imagine that these people are clever enough to come up with, well, uh, we have this UFO phenomenon going on. Why not use that as a cover? Perfect. 
we can experiment with this technology. People will talk about aliens taking them uh, into the spacecraft and being probed, and everyone will laugh, and they won't pay any attention to it. Just like with Camellio, let's, let's target heroin addicts. Let's target homeless people, right. people who they, they won't listen to them. People that are on the fringe, and they did that too. And in in the early days of MK Ultra, I mean, that's what they did. They uh, usually it was prostitutes, it was it was homeless people on the street, and that's the it's it's the same mo. Yeah, or like I mentioned with Delgado, you know, mental patients, uh, yep. uh, prisoners. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about Freemasons. Uh, Albert Pike. You do a good job and a good article in the book about how Pike gets really, he usually gets like really good press or he gets extremely bad press. And so you yeah. do a good job of, of, of kind of setting the record straight on who, who he probably actually really was. Yeah. The Albert Pike, oh, by the way, just going backwards for a brief moment, uh, just wrapping up a ribbon on the, the alien abduction thing. Sure. The, if sometimes there are things that you suspect that you can't really write about because you don't have any evidence for it. Yeah. But that's like the, the perfect, that's like a, a, a tried and true reason for, for using fiction. You know, a fiction can be a method of getting out that kind of information, as I've already mentioned with the, the science fiction writers. So my second book, Spies and Saucers, uh, is a collection of novellas that all take place in the 1950s. And, they all, and each, each story involves intelligence agencies or, or UFOs in some way. Uh, and the first story takes place in 59 and then goes backwards to 56, and the last story is in, is in 52. Well, the, the last story in the book, Spies and Saucers, is entirely about the intersection between the intelligence agencies and the beginning of the uh, faking the alien abduction program. So oh. you, if you read that final story in there, Spies and Saucers, the title story of the collection, uh, I think you will, you, you will be interested in it. Um, I'm going to have to also, check that out. The, the very first story in that book, by the way, just I'll get back to the Pike thing in a moment. The, the very first story is called The Fallen Nun. And the first scene is there's a, a guy tending his marijuana garden up in Malibu in 1959. And suddenly this dead nun falls out of the sky and lands <laughs> in his marijuana garden face down. <laughs> and suddenly the guy doesn't know what to do. Like, does he call the cops? Because if he does, he has to show them the marijuana garden and the dead nun. And then, so at, then there's a knock at the door, and it's two FBI agents, and they're looking for this dead nun, and he doesn't know what to do. And so then it spirals out from there into being about smoking the uh, skin of uh, dead reptilian aliens, which triggers time travel, <laughs> and, <Okay. laughs> and flying to the moon, and all this other stuff. It's, it's quite brilliant, I have to say. So if, if you're interested in reading something like that, Sp- Spies and Saucers, you can get it through through Amazon, but it is fiction, but it's, it's kind of fiction and, and nonfiction sort of underneath the fictional surface. Before reading uh, that first story, would you recommend a bong hit? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Before or after or, or during, you know, I mean, it's up to you. It's a free country. Is it not? Um, uh, the, the, so Albert Pike, uh, speaking of bong hits, Albert Pike, um, uh, uh, th- that chapter is actually was, was fun to write. I was originally asked to write um, that particular piece uh, by New Dawn magazine, which I, I have a, um, a new article coming out 
in New Dawn in, in a couple of months. It's all about, um, it's, it's called what's, what's at the End of Main Street, and it's an analysis of what I call Gnostic cinema going back, I, I would say beginning with um, uh, Dark City, the film Dark City. Yeah. It sparked off a kind of, um, this kind of trend of, of what I call Gnostic films, uh, films that are sort of questioning reality, and there's a kind of weird Gnostic uh, subtext to it. So I, I analyze all that in this article, and that'll be in New Dawn in, in I think, actually this month or, or next month. But going back to, I think it was like 2006, they asked me to write this article about, about Albert Pike, and, and the original idea was it was going to be like dueling Pikes. Uh, it was going to be like one person writing like a negative Pike and then the other person writing like a pro-Pike. And this, this other writer uh, had written like a big kind of like cheerleading pro-Pike article and they wanted me to write the negative one. And I didn't really, I didn't want to write the negative one. I wanted to just write as close as possible what the reality was, you know, which is hard to determine at this point. But it's, it's, it's a perfect, um, writing the article was fun because Pike is that perfect like Rorschach blot figure in conspiracy theory mythology. Uh, the Illuminati is another example of something that changes depending on your point of view. If, if you're a right winger, then the Illuminati are all these like left wing communists trying to take over the country. If you're a left winger, the Illuminati are all these like hard right like Nazis and they're trying to take over uh, the country. Right. It, it, the Illuminati is this blank slate that you can just project whatever your worst fears onto. And, you know, the evidence suggests that the original Illuminati that Adam Bysop formed probably did not exist for more than a few years. Uh, that doesn't mean that there aren't another group of people calling themselves the Illuminati now and doing, you know, horrendous things. I have no idea. Uh, but Pike is kind of that, that Rorschach, he has that Rorschach block kind of quality to him. And I read some articles by him, by, for example, Manly P. Hall, who was, had an amazing encyclopedic mind. And I think Manly P. Hall saw himself as a kind of modern day, 20th century Albert Pike in the sense that Manly P. Hall was able to pull in all these weird esoteric um, sources and weave them together into new narratives, like his classic uh, Secret Destiny of America and, and, and the Secret te- Teachings of All Ages. Uh, and, and Pike also had this incredible scholarly encyclopedic mind, and he wrote this book called Morals and Dogma, which every Freemason is given and no Freemason reads. Because it's this weighty tome, and like you open it up, and by the first paragraph, you want to be doing something else. Um, (laughs) I I myself have not read the entire book, though I've read sections of it. Um, And I remember going to the Philosophical Research Society, which is Manly P. Hall's alabaster temple in the shadow of of Griffith, Griffith Observatory in L.A. It's been there since the the 1920s, Manly P. Hall was friends with Bela Lugosi, and uh, um, you know he he was an early kind of like new age uh, figure in in L.A. and very much promoted universalism uh, before Joseph Campbell. You know, tying in all the similarities between all the various myths um, and suggesting that it's from a, a common source. Uh, 
and so Manly P. Hall has all these articles that are just praising Albert Pike as being this kind of like God on earth, you know, she really laid it on thick, you know, and, and you read it and you think this, and you read a lot of the Masonic stuff on, on Pike and, and, and uh, you just think, you know, I'm not getting the full story here, you know. Uh, you know, the fact is that, that Pike was instrument, absolutely instrumental in forming the, the Ku Klux Klan. Um, and however, there's a sort of weird vagueness about that. It's hard to pin that down. Was the Ku Klux Klan that Pike formed, did he form it with the intent that it has now? Or did they have a different intent when he formed it? And then it turned into something darker later on. It, it, that's not entirely clear right. even to me. Right. Uh, and uh, he seems to have uh, said things that were obviously quite racist, which wouldn't be a surprise since he was, you know, uh, he lived in the South and was um, a part of the Confederate Army, you know. Um, and so uh, the... the, the um, he also, did, however, he was a, a, a very high-powered attorney at the time, and he did a lot of work for the American Indians and uh, getting them um, uh, some, some amount of uh, restitution for the things that had been done to him. So there are these examples of him being very uh, philanthropic, you know, uh, philanthropic. Uh, and, then, and there's also evidence of him having been a very negative uh, character as well. Uh, so I, that's what I was fascinated by and why I, I wrote the article. I wanted to show all aspects of this guy that, that you can't just uh, point a finger at him and say this guy is absolutely a, a villain. And you can't point at him either and say this guy was the hero and he formed the Scottish Rite and what a, what a, you know, um, what a brilliant guy he was. It, 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 there's, he falls into this weird gray area and it was that gray area that fascinated me and that's, that's why I I wrote the article, and, and that article fit perfectly in with the narrative of the book because the book itself was about analyzing that, that limbo gray area, right. the, the, the mixture of misinformation and, and, and disinformation, and his, his whole life is like a mixture of misinformation and disinformation, much, much of which he probably generated himself because I think he very much wanted to be a kind of mythic figure. Yeah, his own publicist, and and I think Crowley was kind of the same way too. You know, he's he's another figure that is like either he's like the the best person that ever lived, this profound profound philosopher, or he's Satan incarnate. There's, for a lot of people, there's nothing in between. And so, so did uh, did Pike actually? Was there something in the book about Pike? There was a rumor that he would sit in a forest and like on a throne and women would convert around him or something like that. Uh, yes. The exact phrase was that he would sit on a phallic throne. Oh. Uh, and to this day, I don't know what that means. <laughs> uh, trying to imagine what a phallic throne looks like. Uh, I would like to own one. Uh, if I, if I, if you point me in the right direction, I'll order that through Amazon. Uh, I would, I would hate to, be my neighbors when they see this thing tightly wrapped, this phallic throne being left on my doorstep. And you're like, that's my phallic throne. Yeah, that's my phallic throne. It's, it's nothing weird. It's just my phallic throne. I'm taking it to the, uh, what, to the what was it, the uh, magical space pussy. I, I, it's going right through the magical space pussy and all the way to Zedi Reticuli. Uh, we're, we're, we're putting a nuclear warhead in it. 
<laughs> I got to sit you before I let you go because I think we're getting punch drunk by this point. I got to ask you this about Manly P. Hall. Uh, a friend of mine has told me, and I've tried to find this. Maybe you know this. Uh, apparently, he had, like, I guess towards the end of his life, he was rather obese. And apparently, yeah. he had made a statement that. He wanted to fill a pool with chocolate so he could eat his way out of it. Do you I know hope this that's story? True. <laughs> I ho- I've never heard that story, but I definitely hope that's true. I, I would love to have seen that happen. I would have, I would have bought tickets for that. <laughs> it's so bizarre. I, <laughs> I need to get a source on that because it's so funny. <laughs> there, there's a there's a biography written by him that I've not yet read, though. Uh, the guy's name is uh, Louis uh, Fagan, Tahagen, uh-huh. something like that. I think the book is called Master of the Mysteries. And, and apparently in the book, he goes through a lot of the kind of contradictions in Manly P. Hall's life and... Um, uh, 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 the weirdness of his of his death and his widow claiming that he was murdered, and uh, by this guy named Daniel Fritz, who's now dead, uh, and um, the, his his wife uh, Marie uh, Hall claimed that there was this esoteric constitution buried in a vault under a church in Virginia, and she had all these followers who believed her, and actually they they dug up the this this. Uh, church in in Virginia, and they didn't they didn't find the the secret esoteric constitution of the United States. They, they, they just you know it was like Al Capone's vault, I guess. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's all kinds of weirdness uh, surrounding his death, and um, the this guy Daniel Fritz and his friends sort of took over the PRS for a short period of time before it was like liberated by uh, the current head of it, which is whose name is Abadiah Harris. Um, the, the the PRS is a fascinating kind of aspect of southern california culture i'm i'm glad it's still there that reminds me uh you talk about something being buried um nicholas rorick the philosopher uh we have a guy here lives lives in nashville named william henry and his big his his claim is that he really thinks that that little box that rorick would carry around that was supposed to be the philosopher's stone yeah. That he had this uh, this correspondence with um, Wallace, the Henry Wallace, the, agri- the the vice president under F- one of the vice presidents under FDR. He believes that that's actually buried here in Nashville, underneath Bicentennial Park. Just a little interesting I, tidbit he, for you. Let's dig it up. Yeah, we need to. Let's let's go. <laughs> Uh, it'd be like the last scene and it's a mad, 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 mad world with there were like all these aging comedians from the, uh, from the Eisenhower era go and try to dig up this, this treasure underneath Long Beach. We can go to Nashville and dig up. It's probably the magic space pussy is probably in that box, you know, and then we can, we can throw in a phantom clown in there and suddenly on Zeta Reticuli, this vaginal portal opens up and a phantom clown falls through. And, and the aliens are just like scratching their head, trying to figure out what the hell. Like, man, those those Earthlings are crazy. They're just they're sending us magic space pussies. They're sending us phantom clowns. What next? What's gonna happen? Well, and then William Henry comes through. 
Well, Rob, was there anything you wanted to add? We can send all the clowns through the magic space pussy for all I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah. Rob's going to exile them all to Santa Rita. That, that would be wonderful. And during the, the first debate, Donald Trump's like, let's talk about the phantom clown thing going on in South Carolina. You know, he just, everyone thinks he's going to talk about Hillary's emails, and he just suddenly starts going off about phantom clowns. He's like, listen, I'm going to open up. When I become president, I'm going to open up the magic space pussy. I'm going to throw all the phantom clowns through the portal to Zeta Articuli. And then everyone, Republicans and Democrats, stand up and applaud at the same time. And everyone votes for Donald Trump under the, the phantom clown ticket. That sounds like a that sounds like a good scenario there. <laughs> I think it's fantastic. So when I, I I will be Donald Trump's advisor if anyone's listening in the, the Trump campaign, and they want me to write that speech, I'll write it. <laughs> Robert, where can everybody get the book and also uh, get in touch with you? Do you see your writings? Uh, Camilio, I suggest going directly to the Or Books. Uh, webpage or books.com or b-o-o-k-s.com you can get it for a discount there uh, I've noticed recently on Amazon that there were independent sellers who were selling the book for like these crazy prices so I don't know if that's still the case but certainly you can, you can get it for like 18 bucks or less on or books.com that's Camellio and then the first book Cryptoscatology you can get either through the publisher Trine Day or you can get that through Amazon uh, or you can order it uh, from me and have it signed uh, through cryptoscatology.com. Uh, and um, Spies and Saucers, you can also order through the publisher, PS Publishing, which is in England, or you can order that through Amazon as well. I recommend buying all three. Excellent. Excellent. I'm going to have to have you, I'm going to have to get uh, Spies and Saucers. We're going to have to have a show about that, I think. You definitely have to read Spies and Saucers. I will, I will definitely come back to talk about Spies and Saucers. Absolutely. Well, Robert, oh, and I, I, I did one last thing. Sure. I just recently sold my first novel, uh, which is going to be published by Sky, uh, Nightshade Skyhorse. Nightshade is the science fiction arm of Skyhorse Publishing in New York. And they're publishing my first novel in the fall or winter of next year. The novel is called Until the Last Dog Dies. And it's all about a humor virus that affects only the humor centers of the brain. And it's, it's told from the point of view of a stand-up comedian in L.A. Uh, who comes down with the virus. And his sense of humor is slowly being uh, eaten away by this virus over the course of the book. So it's a timely tale. It's, it's all about uh, people's spirits being slowly whittled away by outside forces, metaphorically. So even though it's a science fiction novel, it's fiction, it actually does tie into this subject matter on a metaphorical level. So that's, that's coming out in the fall, winter of next year. Nice. And also the book that you're working on currently, uh, when is that, uh, the, the nonfiction, when is that coming the, out? Hollywood Haunts the World. Yes. I, have, I don't have a publisher for that yet, uh, and I, I'm almost uh, done with it. Almost. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Robert, thank you so much. And uh, stay on the line with us. We're going to close this part out. And guys, we'll be right back on Conspiracy Normal to close out. All right. We're back. You know, uh, one of my favorite things ever in life is when I hear clusters of words that I would never, ever come up with and will probably never hear again. <laughs> Like last night was um, this lady I was talking to. And, uh, how did she phrase it? Oh, and now I've got to figure out how to write the soundtrack to clowns having sex. Is the phrase? <laughs> There's a real problem. This she's is having. from the Leisure Hour. Yeah, 
she's <laughs> having to write the music for this this play, The Clown Bar. And tonight's was, uh, I want to take my phallic throne through the magic space pussy. <laughs> <laughs> that was real special. You see what Luke misses when he's not here. I know. You'd love that. <laughs> I'm sure he's out catching Pokemon or something. Yeah. Maybe he'll be back soon. <laughs> <laughs> he'll catch them all eventually, and then he'll have to come back. Yeah, he'll get bored. I wanted to ask you real quick, because uh, you graduated from high school in 99? Yeah. So that was the year of Columbine. What do, what do you remember about that? being Because I, I was already graduated. I was out of high school by then. Um, I was in college for me. I don't remember a whole lot. I remember like it was... um. Anyone who is into like Marilyn Manson or Nine Inch Nails or any of the gothier yeah. metal stuff kind of like had to tone it down a lot. And, um, there's a lot of nobody seemed to know what to do or, you know, how big of a problem it was. But I don't really remember a whole lot of specifics about it. Like, you don't remember, like, how the reaction, maybe for the school, like, the security got tighter? Or no, I don't think that any, I don't think anything really happened where I was, at least not that year. Yeah. Um, between years, they might have implemented some stuff, but I mean, it was a small town, though, too. It wasn't, I don't know, it's not like they were going to put in some kind of, like, new security system or metal detectors right. or anything like that. Right. Yeah, I, I remember all that real well. That was... Uh, that was some that was some crazy stuff, and now I think, in some ways, you look at that and you think that's almost tame by comparison to stuff like Sandy Hook and some of these other shootings that we've had constantly day to day here in this country. Yeah, you know, um, you know, coming up, uh, that was seventeen years ago, man. I and mean, honestly, it's hard to hard to fathom that sometimes, but. uh well, guys, we're just going to close out the show. We, um, I kind of wanted to talk about a couple of things, but I think I'll just save that for next time. Um, next time we do have Dr. Timothy Furnish coming back on, uh, we're going to talk about Sufism and, uh, looking real forward to that. And I got some other getting things lined up kind of for, uh, the end of September, the beginning of October. Uh, trying to get some more like kind of more paranormal themed guests talk a little bit about ghosts and spooky stories and want to try to get Steve Stockton back on as well. So stay tuned for, for that coming up in uh, October. Uh, but guys, thank you so much for listening. I want to thank Robert Guffey for coming on, check his stuff out. And also uh, the leisure hour, please listen, Rob, you can tell everybody where they can find that and where they can find us. Yeah. Uh, all the links are on the website. It's ourleisure.com. It's H-O-U-R leisure.com. Uh, links to you know, YouTube and iTunes. And you can find us on Stitcher, pretty much any podcast app. And we have a website as well. It's just conspiranormal.com. Um, we also have links to the guest books on there. We're going to you know, start posting some more content, blogs and such. But yes. um, you can find links to all of our social media and everything on there. So check it out absolutely thank you guys so much for listening and we will be back next time and i will actually be next time i will be uh going to new york I want to mention i'll be getting a tour from peter robbins so i'm real stoked about that so hopefully uh i survive considering that i'm flying on september 11th I have to blame uh my good friend harden for that 
because he wants to see the football game. But anyway, <laughs> thank you guys, and we will be back uh, in a couple weeks on Conspiranormal. Magic Space Pussy. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.